you sure you want to do this? <laughs> no. But can I dismiss the kids? Okay. I wanted to get to dismiss the kids because you guys are just such an inspiration to us when we worship. Thank you that you worship so genuinely and so freely, and it's really cool to see. So, any of the kids said, who want to leave, you may leave for which <laughs> kids. So we we have this uh, tradition to have our kids in the service to begin with. And, you know, as we grow, we have to start thinking about, is there going to be a time where we can't have the kids here? But what's happened is we have created a bunch of worshiping kids, and it's really hard to take them out uh, because they love to be here. And then they, when they're at home, they worship just like this, just like they were uh, up here in, in front this morning. So we're so grateful. Uh, church, uh, and we're thankful for all the friends uh, who've made the, the trip today, and um, see, what do you think? It's, our, it's like our last Sunday, and um, the, the thing that's really surprised me is, so we announced our uh, retirement back in January, and I, there's been so much excitement about us leaving, <laughs> and the church is celebrating. <laughs> So, uh, I've asked Sue to join me today, and, uh, you know, we don't do this very often. We, we've done it quite a few times in the past, but it's been a while, um, and it takes a little extra effort, but I really appreciate, and thank, uh, Sue, I, I want to thank you for your partnership in the gospel uh, from the very first day. It has been so meaningful to have you uh, at my side every step, and uh, I, I, and I, you know, this has really been good for our marriage, partnership in the gospel, because we have been on the same page. It has forced us to be on the same page over and over and over again. Um, so I want to start today with just a look back. I like history, maybe you remember that. And um, we're going to go back a little bit. And, and I just want to remind us of some of the steps we've made uh, to get here uh, today. And so I thought it would be appropriate, this is the only chance I get to have a map, right? <laughs> and so um, we started back uh, in 2008, and you can see at the top, that that's our home. You know, we're on the north side, kind of on the east side uh, of, of Eau Claire. We're actually in the city limits of, of Eau Claire. And uh, we started there on uh, Sunday nights, we had a Bible study. I think we had, we had like five people was our lowest and 14 was the highest for that first summer. And then in September, we started worship services every Sunday night in our home. And I remember at, at one point, um, somebody took a whiteboard and they drew a picture of a bridge and then they set it on a chair on our front porch on Sunday nights so people would know uh, that they were at the bridge. After that, we were uh, given, graciously uh, given an office space to use a few months, and we started worshiping on a Sunday morning, and it was uh, Jen Strobush's, Jen Strobush Eiley's dad, Rob, who's here today, who let us use that office space, and we got to use it for groups and counseling, and we worshiped on Sunday morning, and we got up to like 54 people crammed in there on worship on Sunday morning. And then we finally found uh, CVTC, Chippewa Valley Tech College, and uh, I didn't say it was Golf Terrace, that's right, and uh, CVTC, that's Chippewa Valley Tech College, 
and we had five preview services there. Then we began our regular Sunday morning worship uh, on March 8th, 2009. And so that was where we were. Um, there was a problem, though. They didn't allow people to be there on the holidays. So whether it was Easter or Christmas or Fourth of July or Labor Day, we always had to find uh, another spot. And so um, we found uh, Owen Park uh, for July 4th weekend. We did that uh, at least two times at the, at the band shell. Um, we added Memorial High School for holiday worship. And uh, one summer, we went back to the Plaza Hotel. And then for a couple of school years, we worshiped at Memorial High School. They didn't allow people to be there in the summer, so we always had to find alternate places. And some of you know the Plaza Hotel is now Marshfield Hospital. <laughs> Plaza Hotel got tore down, and it's just down the street from us. Um, for holiday weekends, we also worshiped at South Middle School, and then there was DeLong Middle School. One summer, we found ECCT, the Eau Claire Children's Theater, and we ended up there for about nine years. The great thing was we could be there for holidays or the summer, except if they had a show that interfered with uh, our schedule. And then, you know, God provided the building for us, this building, and we moved into this building June 22nd uh, uh, of last summer. And it's really been a blessing from God, his provision that we would be here. Now, what didn't make the map was the famous Hillcrest Parkway Studios, where we held virtual church for a year. And uh, it was our old offices, and it was a great space, and we had uh, four little areas that we video recorded when we did a Sunday morning event. And we always did it on Saturday, and sometimes we had to do it a little bit earlier in the week. Um, so I want to talk, um, there's your, that's the last chance I get for maps. <laughs> I'm done. There no, no more maps. Um, we just want to take some time and remind you about some things. There are things you already know, things we want you to remember. You know, I've always been described as a pretty simple guy, a pretty simple kind of teacher. And so I have some pretty simple things to say. And I want to start by just reminding us to stay on mission. As you move forward, as you look to the future, stay on mission. Now, our mission, as uh, by way of reminder, comes from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. These are words of Jesus Christ uh, after his death. Some of the final words to his followers. Matthew 28, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus wanted his uh, followers to disperse and to go into the world and to make disciples. And that's a twofold thing to go out and share the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, and then to help them grow as followers of Jesus, help them understand what it means to follow Jesus. And um, then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it Christian baptism. It's in God's name. It's the desire of Jesus Christ that every follower of Jesus 
be baptized. And so that's my reminder. If you haven't been baptized as a follower of Jesus, you should think about that seriously. And I just want to encourage you, this is going to be important, church, in the days ahead, that those who follow Christ are baptized. And um, since we've been in this building, it's been fun that we've had 19 people baptized since uh, we, we moved in here. Um, and then Jesus gives us these words, and he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded, not just some of the main things, everything. We, we call that a fully devoted follower of Christ here at the bridge. This is what we call discipleship. Uh, and we're all in this process. Um, we're all needing to continue to grow, to grow in obedience, to, uh, to follow uh, what, what Jesus has commanded us. And the way we say it here at the bridge is our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Jesus, to help people connect. By the way, that's what bridges do. They connect people. And we want to be representatives, ambassadors for Christ that help people connect, help people build bridges to have a relationship with Jesus. Personally, I think everything that we are to do could be summed up in this mission. Um, if we do what God has commanded us to do, it will bring glory to God. It will honor him. There's a lot of ways to say mission, but it better include these, these main concepts. And by the way, in the future, somebody may come along the way and say, we need to change that mission. And there's a lot of ways you can word it. So it's going to be okay if the words get changed. Just don't change the focus of it to make disciples. Now, to stay on mission, we're going to need to clarify, uh, make sure that we, we have clarity about the good news of Jesus. What is that message? If people are going to come to faith... We're going to reach out so people understand what is that message. And I just want to remind us again. I know you know this, and you may get tired of this. I'm pretty redundant sometimes. First Corinthians Repetition, 15. repetition, repetition. So I had this uh, instructor in seminary, and when it came to this message, he, he just said this, be clear, be clear, be clear. And I don't know what else to do. First Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. And the apostle... Uh, Paul writes these words to the church at Corinth. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I, I want to remind you of the gospel. This is a technical definition. The, not a gospel, but the gospel I preach to you, which you've received on which you've taken your stand by faith. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Now, he's not talking about Somehow it's going to be believing and doing good works. What he's talking about is if you are serious about the gospel and you embrace the gospel by faith, that's got to make a difference in your life. And there's going to be fruit in your life. And you're going to walk the walk. And you're going to be following Jesus. Otherwise, you're just going through the motions. And, you know, we've seen that in our culture in the last 30, 40, 50 years about people who said a prayer and they were told they were saved and their life never changed. But they said a prayer. And so that's what uh, 
the kind of thing that uh, the Apostle Paul is, is warning about here. Um, so next we have in verse 3, now comes the message of the gospel. He says, for what I've received, Paul got it from Jesus, what I've received, I passed on to you of first importance, kind of important, first importance, and that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is the good news. It is good news. Um, Jesus paid the price for our sin. He redeemed us. He paid the ransom for us. His, and then it goes on and says that he was buried. His, it was proof of his death that he was raised again uh, according to the scriptures. His resurrection was proof of his victory over death and his victory over sin and his victory over Satan. It's good news. Um, and this is the message of salvation. It is the way of salvation. Uh, in a nutshell, Tim Keller put it this way in his book, The Reason for God. He said, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. And, uh, you know, think about that. I, we are more sinful than we really think about when it comes to standing before a holy God. And we're way more loved than we often think. We often go by how we feel. And God gave everything for you uh, to become a follower of Jesus. Desmond Tutu, who's an Anglican bishop in Africa, uh, and he passed away in 2021, and he was asked, what's your favorite Bible verse? And he, and he said, um, Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he said, it sums up the gospel wonderfully. We think we have to impress God so that God loves us. But he says, no, you are loved already, even at your worst. Um, now, how important is this message, this gospel message? How important is it? Well, the Apostle Paul had an opinion about that in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And here's what he said. This is to the, the churches in Galatia. He said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He said, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and that are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so what was happening in the first century was, you know, it, there was this message spreading through the Roman Empire that Christ died for people's sins and people were coming to faith in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. But then there were some believers that came along and they wanted to add a new rule. And they wanted to say, well, you really need to believe and then you need to be circumcised before you can be saved. And so that was not the gospel. And that's what Paul is addressing here. But all through history, there's always been that struggle of keeping the gospel clear. People want to add things or alter things or change things. And so we have people today that call themselves Christians that want to say, no, you need to believe and then you need to be baptized and then you can be saved. And then you have some people who say, well, you need to believe, and then you have to be good, you have to do good works, and then you, you hope that you're safe. 
And then some people just confuse the gospel. They use so many different terms without communicating that Christ died for our sins. And so there just needs to be clarity. And uh, so what did the Apostle Paul have to say about this? He said in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's kind of strong. And then he comes back in verse 9. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So stay on mission and be clear. Now, to talk a minute about our process, and we call this, it's really the process of discipleship. We are in a people-helping business. That's kingdom business. That's what the king has us doing, people-helping. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, uh, the apostle Paul writes this to Timothy, a young leader. He said, and the things that you've heard from me, Timothy, by the way, say in the presence of many witnesses, And entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul instructs Timothy to pass on what Timothy had learned from Paul. And that that should be passed to reliable people who will in turn pass it to reliable people. Who will in turn pass it to reliable people. Here we are today. Who passed on the truth to you? Somebody did. Somebody who knew the gospel, somebody who communicated it to you, and who's helped you grow as a follower of Christ. Somebody who knew something about scripture. There's a lot of ways that we've learned it, but somebody for 2,000 years has been faithful. And I just want to say I'm really grateful to God uh, that, the, that the man who uh, shared the gospel with me before I was a Christ follower and then the man who discipled me right after I became a Christ follower, he encouraged me to go to seminary. And then he invited me uh, back uh, to serve with him. And I did for five years as his associate pastor. And uh, uh, Pastor Joel is here this morning. I'm so grateful uh, that he would join us today and for the contribution he made to my life. And, and mine. It, that's right. I know he doesn't remember this, but he, he uh, did some marriage counseling for us a few times. So, <laughs> um, Now, I want to remind you of this, parents. When you talk to your kids about God and you help them understand truth, you are practicing 2 Timothy 2.2. You are discipling your kids. It's absolutely essential. You know, on some of the faith stories we just heard um, a couple weeks back, so many kids, and, and same way with if you serve in bridge kids, there are so many kids who learn at home, who are uh, learning from their teachers about who God is and what he's like and what he's done for them. That's so crucial in this process of discipleship. Uh, so, Sue, tell us about our second reminder. Okay, I will tell us about our the second reminder if I can get my pages together. Okay, church. Reminder number two. 
keep growing in prayer and community. These have been hallmarks of this church, and I just want to encourage you. Um, you know, we started out 15 years ago with a handful of Christ followers, and they've been growing ever since into this beautiful, flourishing church that is really committed to furthering Christ's kingdom one life at a time. We began really small with two people, and then we added a couple more, and then a few more, and some of you have been with us since the very beginning, which is so exciting. We went, as you saw on the map, from our home to many, many more places. We've weathered a lot of storms being a mobile church and then being a virtual church, but God has remained faithful. And I just want to encourage and affirm you to keep growing in these areas you've been so strong in, in prayer and in community. They have been such strengths. We've prayed together, learned together, sang together, worshiped together, laughed together, shared together, living out the life of a biblical community. In February of this year, I read an article uh, by Paul Miller, the author of A Praying Church, and there's a quote I want to share with you. About 85% of Christians, and just think about this, 85% of Christians in a typical church do not have much of a prayer life. Praying communities those who pray together, are perhaps even more rare. And Paul goes on to say, I was taken back by the findings of a 2017 Barna study in the state of corporate prayer in America that said 94% of American adults who pray do it by themselves. Only 6% of us are praying with someone else. I just want to say, church, I am so thankful we are not the typical church with regard to prayer or community, but that's another subject. I would just, can you imagine how sad it'd be if only 15% of us had a prayer life and only 6% of us prayed together? It would virtually mean that we would have none of the ministries we have because they're all saturated in prayer. And it would mean that this church building wouldn't be ours because we prayed for years and years and years for this building. Um, I just, I have pondered those percentages and I have just praised God over and over again for you people being people of prayer and how that has just grown and grown and grown in so many different areas of our ministry and how I know I can text somebody any time of day and ask for prayer and they will do it and I know the same thing happens coming my way, but the fact that we can pray corporately, you know, we've designed our small groups, that is a priority. We spend time praying together. Um, so I just want to thank you for that, and I want to open our Bibles, um, if you have a Bible or if you have a smartphone, to Hebrews 10 with my reminder, and it's really the writer of Hebrews, who is unnamed, his reminder to us and his encouragement about prayer and community. Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more 
as you see the day approaching. As we look at this passage, remember that God's word, Jerry will talk about it often, is 100% true, it's timeless, it's God's primary way to speak to us. So if you're not in the word, you're not hearing from God. The writer of Hebrews begins by instructing us very graciously with the words, let us, which is gracious instead of just pounding and saying, this is what you have to do. But he repeats it three times in these verses. And notice it's plural, let us, not let you, not let me, we're going to do this on our own, but let us. So in verse 22, we see our faith highlighted in the gracious let us instruction. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So as a body, we can draw near to God with sincere hearts, honestly, truthfully, humbly, with the full assurance that faith brings. Faith because of Christ's amazing work on the cross that can give us the confidence that God will welcome us into his presence. The writer goes on to finish that thought with, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This phrase tells us that Christ's sacrificial death on the cross has provided cleansing from inward guilt and outward impurity. And you know, Jerry talks about it often at communion, every communion. He quotes 1 John 1, 9 to us and reminds us that we can have short accounts with God. We can confess our sins and God is faithful and just and he will cleanse us and purify us from all our sin. And that is a precious time when we have corporate worship together confessing our sins and know we walk out of this room into the world, clean people. But obviously, we need to do that on a daily basis as well. Verse 23 keys in on our hope. So we've looked at our faith, but 23 keys in on our hope. Let us hold, and again, let us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. First century believers faced many of the same problems and challenges we face. Christians weren't any more popular in the first century than they are now. And living a life following Jesus daily has never been easy in a fallen world. So how do we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess? How do we have full confidence in the reliability of God's promises? I think the answer is in the rest of the verse. Because he who promised is faithful. We serve a faithful God. We sang about that today, didn't we? We unswervingly held to the hope of the hope that we profess by singing that that same God, we can call on the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Mary, the God of David, because we know that he heard them. He, he heard those children back then, and he will hear us as his children now. We sang that as a church together, and it gives us hope. And we need that. We need to be together and be filled with hope in a hard world. It's challenging to hold on unswervingly to hope alone. You know that. God's did the sign the church to be one body, a family who can bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, encourage one another, love one another, so that we continue having faith and hope when times are tough. We need each other. And you know, there's so many reasons to struggle for hope in our world, but they are never, ever sourced in God. Our God's faithful. 
He does not want us to be without hope. When we are not hopeful, when we're not full of faith, that comes straight from the pit. That's from the enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy our faith and our hope. So one, one weapon that many of us at the bridge have used against the enemy through the years when faith and hope are being depleted or we're just going through a challenging spiritual battle is a warfare prayer that was given to Jerry and I many years ago by Pastor Joel. And it has been prayed through countless times over our 40 years of ministry. And I know we have passed it on to many of you. Or maybe you have your own warfare prayer that's similar. But it's really an opportunity to profess our hope in who God is and in the truth of his word and to come out victorious at the end of the prayer. One of the final sentences in the prayer is one that I pray from memory on a regular basis to remind myself and any demonic forces that may be hanging around that my faithful God is still on the throne. And here is what it is. I refuse to be discouraged because I serve the God of all hope. And sometimes I go around my house stomping my foot and saying, I refuse to be discouraged. I serve the God of all hope. And that's right out of Romans 15. He is our God of hope. He is also hope himself. So that is just, just a reminder to you that we do not have to live without hope as God's children. And we can do it most effectively by being consistently in community with each other. Because when my hope's weak, somebody else's hope is a little stronger and we can build each other up. Finally, let's focus on love. And there again, I just want you to know, you get prayed for constantly that you will stay loving one another as Jesus commanded us in John 13, that we will love each other as much as he loved us. And we pray that for you. And we pray unity in our church all the time. Our leaders pray that regularly. And so this is, a, this is such a cool section of scripture because I'm thankful that you have stayed loving and unified even through COVID. It was amazing as a virtual church how you remained loving and kind to each other and served each other so well. So let's read these verses. Let's read the first part of it. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The Greek word for spur is really, really a strong word. It's very intentional, and we're to strongly and intentionally remind each other of our need to be distinctive in our love. Our agape love is very different than the world's love. And we have to keep reminding each other of that because it's sacrificial, and that's hard in our world. And we need to remind each other of acts of kindness because that's consistent with Jesus' character. In other words, any time we're gathered as a church, whether in corporate worship or in small groups, we are supposed to be intentional in spurring one another on. If we don't spur unswervingly, spur strongly, we can go off course. And I think in verse 25, we also see the key to how we can make all of these instructions successful. And that's at verse 25. 
not giving up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so we're being reminded of how essential meeting together really is. We're not to give up meeting together. <laughs> and the writer of Hebrews even threw in, and some of you are already in the habit of doing that. Well, you know, I saw that after COVID in big ways, but you know, God has just kept this church really faithful in meeting together, and I'm so grateful for that. But we're, we're not to give up meeting together, but on the other side, what are we supposed to do? We're to encourage one another when we get together. You can't encourage others in the body if you aren't together. If you don't come, you can't encourage. You can't be encouraged. So, as Jerry often says, when we gather corporately on Sundays, spiritual sparks fly. And I just love that. Because something happens every time you come to worship. It may not be Jerry's message or, you know, in the future, it may not be Pastor Ken's message. It may not be the time of worship that particular week. It may be watching a child worship that is something that makes sparks fly. You see the reality of Jesus Christ in a small child. Or maybe you're standing out in the lobby sharing coffee with one of the ushers and something said that encourages you. Or you're able to encourage somebody who looks like they're hurting. So, it's essential that we keep meeting together. God's at work in a unique way in the body of Christ. Since the beginning of the church in Acts 2, just keep this in mind, we are modeling after the first church. They met weekly on Sundays in large group, and then they met in the week in small group. And that's what we've done for 14 years since we have become a church. And the Lord willing, that will continue till Jesus comes back. We close with the final phrase of this verse, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer's saying that we're to be more and more devoted to a special time of prayer and community as we see the day of Jesus' return approaching. We need each other's faith, we need each other's hope and love to successfully continue our mission of helping people connect with God and developing them into fully devoted followers. I am so proud of you. I'm just so proud that you've excelled in prayer and community, both corporately and in smaller groups. Keep on keeping on until Jesus comes back. Because he is coming back, and today could be the day. So, that leads us to reminder number three. And thank you so much, Sue. Um, you know, one of the things that's happened that we've seen just emerge over and over again is the beautiful unity that you have at the bridge. Um, we made it through COVID. We made it through the elections. We've made it through a lot of stuff. And it's because of who you are and what God is doing here. And it's been such a joy to watch. R reminder number three, be people of the word. You already know that. You're not surprised. Be people of the word. So let's review. We have a need. Our need, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Apostle Peter writes these words. He says, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Um, you know, babies uh, get hungry. 
newborns get pretty hungry, and uh, they need some food. And Peter is saying, be like them. And the spiritual, um, the, uh, spiritual milk here is a reference to God's word. It's spiritual food for us. It nurtures our soul. It, um, it instructs our heart. It builds our strength. It strengthens our faith. And we, we all need to grow up. We just need to keep growing. And we learn about who God is. We learn about how God works through his word. Our faith grows through his word. When we're not connected, we're not going to be nourished. We're not going to keep, keep growing. Uh, what are some benefits? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This verse reminds us that the source of all scripture is God. This doesn't mean that human authors were not involved, but it does affirm that God is fully responsible for his word. It's true, reliable, authoritative, permanent, and powerful because it comes from God himself. We can trust the Bible. We can trust all of it. And we can share that with our children with confidence, with our friends with confidence who don't know Jesus yet. And look at the benefits. It's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, to correct us when we've sinned, and to teach us to do what is right. If you want to be an effective follower of Jesus, and I know that's the heart of our church, we must be people of the word. People who know God's word because we have spent regular time reading it or listening to it being read. You can be that person whether you are small, whether you're a child, or whether you're a senior citizen or any age in between. Don't let age be an excuse for not being in God's word. I find it's harder to read now because of my eyes, but boy, I'm not going to stop reading God's word, and I listen to it on Audible too, or on version. So there's never been a time in history when the Bible was more accessible. You can read it. <clears throat> Imagine that. You actually use the Bible or your smartphone or your computer or listen to it on a Bible app like version. If you don't yet have a habit of daily time with God in his word, talk to a friend or someone you look up to at the bridge for advice. We all need to hear the word taught. So that's why we need corporate worship, Bridge Kids 412, and growth groups. So I've tried reading the Bible a lot of different ways through the years, uh, reading through the Bible. And uh, here's what I'm doing currently. I uh, just started this this year. I am uh, using Uversion, and I, um, I like to read from my iPad. And I, I, uh, for the first time, I've turned the audio on and then followed word by word reading through the Bible in one year. And I've found it uh, very refreshing. There's a lot of Bible reading plans in Uversion. So um, have a look if that's something you're not familiar with. Um, so um, our outlook. So the bridge is going to, going to be facing a transition, right? And uh, just thinking about the future, 
Second uh, Timothy chapter four verses one through three comes to my mind, and here's what um, the apostle Paul tells Timothy. He, he says, "In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and he's, he's our judge, and um, and in view of the of his appearing that he's coming, and in his kingdom, he says, I give you this charge." And this has been uh, the charge that I've carried through the years. Um, Verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Proclamation, sharing, teaching of the word of God. And Paul is telling Timothy there as a young leader, but this is something that the church is responsible for, church leaders are responsible for, and we as a church are responsible to hear the proclamation of the word. That's how God works. The amazing thing is, this is never going to go out of style. God has designed the, the church to gather for, the proc, for worship and for proclamation of the word. And that's going to be a main thing about how he works. And it's through uh, proclamation, through the teachers that God raises up and that we need to hear, we need to, uh, to listen. Um, and, you know, we live in a time um, where, I shouldn't say we live in a time, I should say it's all been true of all history. It was true in the first century. And it's true today that... Um, People will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what, they, what their itching ears want to hear. And so um, that's always been true. And think of all the changes we've experienced in our culture. We've watched it. You know, what does Scripture say about marriage? What does Scripture say about sexual purity? Um, what, you know, what about affairs? Or what about sex before marriage? You know, what does scripture say? God hasn't changed his mind on those things, but yet people, Christians, that's, it never bothers me that non-Christians act like Christians. Never bothers me. What bothers me is when Christians act like non-Christians, when they adopt, when they begin to conform to our world and not to following uh, Jesus. So um, be faithful to, to teach God's word. And you're going to be selecting a pastor. Now, you've already got a great interim that's coming. Don't worry about him. But make sure you select your next pastor to be somebody who communicates the word of God accurately in the power of the Holy Spirit. So reminder number four, and uh, I'm going to start this one. Remember, God has your future. God's in charge. You, you know that. And our authority uh, is in Matthew 16, 18. This, this is not uh, our authority as far as my authority as a believer, but this is our authority who is our Lord. And uh, in Matthew 16, 18, uh, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, and I tell you, and he's talking to Peter specifically, because Peter has just made a profession of faith and answered Jesus' question and says, you are the Messiah of God. You're the promised one. You're the holy one. You're the one that we have been waiting for for centuries. Now, that's a paraphrase. 
but he was identifying Jesus as the one. And Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, not on Peter, but on the confession of faith that Peter's just made, he says, I will build my church. Now, that's been a great comfort to me through the, through the years because Jesus said he would do it. He said, I will do it. He's, he's, he's going to do it. And he said, it's my church. The church belongs to him. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. He says, I will build my church. And uh, Jesus has the future of this church in his hand. And so my advice is don't, let's not put ob any obstacles in his path. Because sometimes Christians create obstacles and God just takes a, okay, if you want to do that, I'm just going to take a little bit longer. Or we could just join him in what he's doing and let his leadership and his power work through us. And he said, I will build my church. He's going to build. That's the process of sharing the good news and people coming to faith and then learning to follow Jesus. Building a church. That's shepherding and equipping. And he's going to do that. And then he has that promises at the end. And he says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Um, Jesus is going to win. You can count on that. There are no forces of darkness that will ever overcome Jesus. I, I want to be on his team. I want to be under his authority and under his leadership. Um, and whatever he brings, he does. Um, what's our priority about this? Okay, this is our final sub-point of our final point. Our priority is Matthew 6.33. And those of you who know Jerry's story know that this is our life verse. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What comes before that, what precedes that, is Jesus talking about, please stop worrying. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your stuff. Know that I'm there for you. So contrasting that with but, so... Don't do that, but what should we do? Seek his kingdom first. If we're seeking Christ's kingdom and his righteousness, all, everything else in life is going to fall into place. We've seen that so many times in, through the, the years. It's what's kept our marriage together. Um, so church, my final word, as you face this time of transition, I hope this verse will come to mind and will be encouraging and will be as encouraging as I know it's going to be to Jerry and me as we face our time of transition. If we seek Christ's kingdom and his righteousness first, God has promised to take care of everything else. So let's do that. So church, let's stay on mission. Um, keep the gospel clear. That's, that's going to be important. And keep growing in prayer and unity. And that includes corporate worship. Um, you know, that isn't as popular as, as it used to be. 
gathering on Sunday morning is uh, what God has called us to, and then being involved in growth groups and where you can get to know people in a, in a smaller environment, and then be people of the word. And remember that God has your future. Um, it's his will to build his church. Uh, it is his church, and he's going to do it. And I mentioned already, God has given you a beautiful unity. There are a lot of people on the outside would love to have what you have here. So don't take it for granted. Unity is very fragile. And you have stewarded it so well. Keep stewarding it. So would you stand, please, as we finish our time here? I want to read one of my favorite verses that I've memorized this year. Should have memorized it a long time ago. Maybe I didn't have forgotten. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we're facing such a momentous time. It's such a huge time of change and transition for our church and such a huge time of transition for Jerry and me. But you are the God of all hope. So fill each one of us personally and fill us corporately as the church with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' powerful resurrected name we pray. Amen.